And uh, I made the first time I've ever made a mistake. Uh, I, I was holding an old bulletin, like the first time we printed it off earlier this week, and it did not have that prayer line in there. So I really threw you under the bus because you were standing in front of everybody, not me, and it looked like it was your fault, but really, you guys knew because you had the bulletin. You saw that it was me, but anyway, sorry for that. Um, so I, I had no intention, uh, really, of, of talking about my dad on Father's Day, but in the sermon planning process, all these things lined up, and so this morning I'm going to tell you about my dad um, and uh, just about his life and uh, the kind of man that he was. Uh, so my dad was one of four kids, just like myself. And uh, he was blessed with uh, two really great parents, uh, three great sisters, a very financially stable home. And uh, Dad would often tell me lots of stories, but one of them was about the time he got a pony for Christmas. And we would drive through Knoxville, and he would always show me, this is where I'd bring my pony and let it eat. Um, and uh, just, just a, a good home, a lot of great memories that he had in high school. But there were a lot of problems also. Uh, His mom spent tons of time on the golf course, and uh, his dad had one heck of a temper. The guy could just be just as mean as a snake on hot coals. And uh, his dad traveled around the country all the time for his job. He, He installed theater seats. So 20 or 30 years ago, if you sat in a movie theater and you stuck your gum on the bottom thing of the movie theater seat, uh, there's a chance that my uh, Papa Ron installed that theater seat. Um, So that was a home with very little supervision, and there was just a whole lot of fussing going on in it. Not everything was well there. Dad spent a lot of his time in the homes of his friends where things were maybe a little bit calmer, maybe a little bit more structured uh, in other homes with other people's parents. And dad played every sport under the sun, and uh, he just really um, didn't spend a lot of time in his own home uh, as, a, as an older kid. And shortly after dad got to college, his parents got divorced, and he said, well, it was really probably overdue. So when I was a kid, I loved visiting my dad's family, his mom, his dad, his three sisters, my cousins, and I did, and I do love them a lot and admire them a lot. It's also true that my dad is the only person in his family to never have gotten divorced. And not only that, but at least once. Um, uh, My dad was the only one to go to college and complete a college degree. Not only did he graduate from college, but he went to dental school and uh, became a dentist. And the home that my dad grew up in is not the same home that I grew up in. And it's certainly not the same home that my my children are growing up in. My dad endured a lot as a kid, but he chose to be a different father and husband than his dad had been. The father which he loved very well until the day he buried him, by the way. 
And yet we all know that all too often that is not the case. That is not what happens. Okay? We know that all too often history repeats itself in these topsy-turvy kinds of ways, generation after generation. The son of the chronically angry father becomes the angry person himself or the beat-down passive man one day. The son of the abused and neglected grows up to become addicted and hurting in some way, shape, or form. Or the daughters of the poor grow up to become mothers to poor children. So often, not always, but so often, history repeats itself generation after generation. And it's like there's no escaping it. Like you're stuck in this vortex in which you were born. Like you're predestined to live this kind of life. And so there's this kind of age-old question now. How do we stop repeating the sins of our parents and create something better for the next generation? So I want to go back to the beginning of time. First time there ever was a son, and the first time there ever was a dad, and the first time there ever was a mom, and the first time there ever was a brother. And I want to tell you a story that has been told and retold and retold and retold generation after generation after generation for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. This is a very old story. This is how the story goes. It's from the, the book of Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Can you believe they put that in the Bible? That is just, what is this world coming to? And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of his firstborn of, of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and Cain's face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Thanks be to God for that very somber and tragic word, but very, very good word too. Amen. So here's a question for you this morning. Why did Cain murder his little brother Abel? Now you might kind of answer that question and say, well, I think that he was jealous. I mean, he was just so jealous that he murdered him. And you would not be wrong with that answer. But I want to kind of dig in just a little bit deeper and go back and reconstruct this story. And I'm going to, I'm going to draw a picture of it. So uh, first you have the Lord God Almighty. That's supposed to be a G. Um, 
Ranella will tell me I have bad handwriting. That's supposed to be a G. So you have uh, God, uh, first of all, um, and uh, second you have Abel. So let me put Abel down here. That's an A. I did better that time. Uh, and then, of course, uh, third, you have, you have Cain over here, right? And in the story, God looks at Abel's offering favorably, right? He looks at what Abel brings, and he likes it. He says, you did a good job, Abel. And, uh, and then over there, you have Cain, and the Lord doesn't look favorably upon what Cain brings. He didn't do a good job. He didn't bring what he was supposed to. We don't really know the details of that, but we don't need to know. Because if we did need to know, they would have written it down. And what is the consequence of God not looking favorably upon Cain's offering? Right there on the, on the, on the, on the text of the page. What's the consequence of that? The, 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 the story says that Cain felt angry and he felt downcast. Literally, his face fell. So it seems that Cain is angry and crestfallen because of what the Lord has done. His heavenly Father has shown favor to his brother Abel, and so Cain is angry enough to kill somebody over it. But it turns out that even though it's God's rejection that is so hurtful to Cain. Actually, God is very difficult to murder. Okay? Like, if you're really mad at God, there are some things you can do. You can, you can say, I don't believe in God, right? Or you can kind of pretend like God doesn't exist. You can try to show God in a lot of ways. But there's one thing you can do, which is... Amen. You can throw a rock at his head and kill him. You can't kill God no matter how hard you try. But there's one other person in this equation. One other person in this triangle. Which is Abel, the little brother. And Abel might not be an easy man to kill, but he's a lot easier than God. He's a lot easier to pick on than God. Why does Cain murder Abel? Because in the pain of what feels like rejection from God, even though it's not actually rejection from God, Cain is doing the best he can to lash out at something in his anger. In other words, hurting Abel is the only option Cain can think of to manage the hurt from the perception of his heavenly father's Rejection. Cain thinks that the only way to resolve his hurt from God is to hurt his brother. So he's going nuts. He's losing his mind and his jealousy and rage. And in his mind, there's only one way forward. In his mind, there's, he must eliminate Abel to resolve the hurt from what has happened. In his mind, this is not about him and his heavenly Father. It's not about that. In his mind, it's about his little brother. And he has no choice. He thinks 
he has no choice but to hurt his little brother. But he does have a choice. Cain thinks he has no choice. Cain decides that Abel is the problem, that he has to eliminate Abel, but he does have a choice. So I want you to listen very closely to what God speaks into Cain, okay? And think about our Heavenly Father's heartbeat in this moment when you hear these words. This is what God says. God says, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do right, won't you be accepted? God sees Cain's pain, doesn't He? He sees that Cain is angry. He sees how his face tilts toward the floor. He sees how he cannot lift up his chin. He sees how he doesn't hold out his chest. God feels Cain's pain. And like a good heavenly father, God reaches out to Cain and He asks him about it. And don't we need people like that in our life? People who see our pain and they ask us about it? And notice this. God notices Cain's pain. God is curious about Cain's pain. But God doesn't change the truth of the reality of the situation in order to make that pain go away. It's like God is with him in his pain. God doesn't shame him for feeling the way that he feels, but God isn't going to pretend like it's okay for how Cain has failed to love him well. God isn't going to adjust reality to coddle Cain's feelings so that he doesn't have to feel bad for doing wrong. It's very different than how we parents are these days. But here's the real clincher of the story. Okay, What God says next is very, very important. So listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door right now. It desires... To have you. Every painful hand that you are dealt in life, it provides you with a choice. A choice is right there at your door. Sin crouches at your door. And the, the right thing to do waits for you at the door also. So how are you going to deal with a painful hand that you have been dealt in life? How are you going to deal with the ambiguous moments when you're not sure what he meant or she meant or he did or she did, that person? How are you going to deal with the failures of your father or the failures of your mother or the failures of your wife or your husband? What choice are you going to make? Because sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but love is waiting there too. Because what God is saying to Cain and what God is saying to you is that in that hurt, in that anxiety, in the bitterness and in the misery, in the the thin moment between what happened to you and what you choose to do, sin is crouching at your door and it waits for you right there. It wants to possess you. It wants you to take the easy route. It wants you to pick on your little brother. It wants you to blame and judge and put people in little boxes so that you can flick them away. In the pain of your past, sin crouches at your door and it desires to have you. And usually, letting sin grab you is exactly what people 
do, isn't it? E- the easy thing to do when we are hurt, when life has knocked us down, is to let sin have us. The result of that choice takes 10,000 different shapes, but all of them are some slightly different version of killing of Cain killing his brother because his heavenly father's actions hurt his feelings. See, Cain tells himself that he's killing Abel because if he kills Abel, God will like his fruit better. He thinks it's about that. But this is all too often actually about that, isn't it? This is so often actually about that. Maybe you've seen this like mom or dad comes home from work and they're really grumpy because of the way things went that day at work. And so they're snapping at the kids or they're snapping at the spouse, right? But it actually has nothing to do with the kids and the spouse. It's this is actually about that. It's a triangle instead of a direct line. But here's the last part. Here's the best part. Here's the part that's, that will liberate your life. This is the part that's like your head breaking out of the surface of the water when you thought you were going to drown. I want you to remember this part. Hear these words at the end of verse 7 in the story. It says, But you must rule over it. The King James Version says, but thou shalt rule over it. The New King James says, you should rule over it. The American Standard Version says, but do thou rule over it. But the singular point is this, that you are responsible for what you ultimately do with the hurt in your life. My friends, the thing that follows hurt is always sin crouching at your door, desiring to possess you, desiring for you to take the easy route, to ignore it, to blame it on someone else, uh, to become bitter and angry, to hurt yourself, to hurt somebody else, to give up, to rationalize and pull somebody else into a triangle of suffering instead of dealing with it directly, dealing directly with the one who has hurt you. But God says that actually you have a choice. You have freedom. And what that means is that you have a responsibility. You are responsible for what you ultimately choose to do with the hurt in your life. Murdering Abel was never a foregone conclusion. The story could have gone a very different way. And if you've been wounded and hurt by somebody you love or by life itself, and you decide to take that misery and turn it into giving up, giving up on yourself, giving up on life, giving up to some kind of addictive behavior, giving up and just saying, this is just who I am. This is just what I do. God is saying to you, no, you are responsible for your life and what you choose to do with it. You are responsible for what you ultimately do with the hurtful things that happen to you. You are responsible for your actions and your inactions. You don't get a free pass on loving your brother well because your heart has been broken. You don't get to expect the people around you to cower and coddle and accommodate forever because of whatever happened to you at work this morning or whatever happened to you last night on the phone or whatever happened to you when you were 10 years old. You must 
rule over the sin that crouches at your door, God says to Cain. You can rule over it. Do thou rule over it. Thou shalt rule over it. You are responsible for what you do with the hurt in your life. Where is the part in your story, not in your story, in the story, where Cain tells God about his anger? Where's the part in the story where, where Cain actually takes his anger and his pain directly to God? It's not there. It's not in the story. Cain never deals with the hurt in his heart. He just avoids it. He completely ignores it. And instead of listening to his heart, he rationalizes in his head. And he logically puts a target on Abel's back. And he murders him. Because he draws triangles instead of direct lines. And he pushes his pain onto someone else instead of taking responsibility for it. And this is what I feel like God has laid on my heart to share with you this morning. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and there's a whole mess of pain going on right here. And it's very understandable. And instead of dealing with it directly, you're making triangles. You put the target on someone's back who's a little bit easier to pick on. And so what I feel led to tell you this morning is that today you have a choice to stop letting hurt from people or from the past control you. You have a choice. I'm talking about free will. No one is forcing you to yell at your kids or your spouse. No one's forcing you to behave irresponsibly and not take care of yourself or take care of your family like you should. No one's forcing you to give up. No one's forcing you to ruminate on negative thoughts. No one's forcing you to beat yourself up. No one's forcing you to be passive-aggressive and play games with your family. No one's forcing you to become bitter when someone hurts you. Sin is crouching at your door desiring to possess you but you choose. You choose whether you will give yourself over to that. You can choose to stop letting the hurt control your life. You can't choose to make the pain go away, unfortunately. But you can choose what you do with it. No more excuses, no matter what you have been through. You are not powerless. There is before you an awesome responsibility to allow God to save you and heal you and redeem you. If you need to talk with a therapist or a pastor to help you get your head on straight, guess what? You have a responsibility to do that. If you need to go ask a friend for help, you have a responsibility to do that because sin is crouching at your door and it desires to possess you, but you must rule over it, God says. It's a sorry excuse to be lazy, to be a coward, to give up when, you, when people you supposedly love are depending on you. Do the right thing, God says to Cain. And if you need help from someone so that you can do the right thing, then you have a responsibility to reach out and get help. You might be sitting here and thinking like, well, that's not very nice. I mean, you're being really rough. Which is true. But it's a lot better than you going out in the field and murdering your brother and 
the consequences of everyone around tolerating my bad behavior or your bad behavior, the consequences of you and me believing that we are bound to behave a certain kind of way, that we have no choice in who we are and how we show up for others, is as serious as life and death, says Genesis chapter 4. The good news of this story, the very good news of this story, is that God gives you the freedom and the free will to make a choice about what you are going to do with the hurt in your life. The kind of story that you're going to write with your life. Are you going to lay down and die or kill somebody else when it hurts? Or are you going to do something incredibly inspiring in the hard moments of life and family, the hard moments that happen to us all? The good news is that you are not permanently cursed, trapped in some prison of what has happened to you. You get to decide what you do with it, my friends. You can choose to stop letting the hurt control your life. My dad chose to take the high road. He did something that could make all four of us proud to call him our dad. And I'm wondering what you are going to do with the hand that has been dealt to you. What choice are you going to make? How are you going to show up for your family and your community? How are you going to inspire the next generation with your faith and your resilience and the choices that you have made? So this is a very concrete thing I think that all of us can practice this week. There's a lot that I'm sure... Uh, is sitting uh, with you right now. But here's just one really concrete, practical thing that you can do with this in your, in your toolkit. And that is this. Directly deal with your anger and pain this week. All right? I mean, if somebody you know, offends you this week, or they neglect you, or they insult you, or they try to control you, directly deal with it. How about that? How about you draw direct lines instead of triangles? Okay? Don't play games, don't gossip, don't be passive-aggressive, don't get bitter, don't ruminate, all those things. Directly deal with your anger and your pain. If you can, if it's safe and appropriate, directly deal with the person who has offended you or irritated you or hurt you. If you're mad at God, take it directly to God. Tell God exactly how you feel, exactly what's on your mind. It's okay. It's okay. Take it to the Lord in prayer. God is big enough to take it, my friends. My friends, that is how you begin to break the chains of generational oppression, generational sin. That is how you become a better mother or father or grandmother or grandfather for the generations that follow you. That is how you avoid the tragedy of Cain and build something much better for your family. Won't you please pray with me? Loving God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, for this, this thing that You put inside us called choice, freedom. And we recognize and acknowledge the flip side of that, which is responsibility. Lord, this morning we open ourselves up to the future that is largely up to us what we choose to do with it. We know that You are with us, God. 
If we will make the brave decision, the hard decision, You will be with us every step of the way. You will empower us. You will help us do the right thing. Do the faithful thing. Do the loving thing for You, for Your kingdom, and for all the people that we love and our families. Lord, we are so thankful for You and Your faithfulness to us. We pray that You will help us and and, uh, shape us further into the image of Your Son this week. It's in His name we pray. Amen. My friends, the good news of the Gospel is that in Jesus, the Kingdom of Heaven is available to you. The Bible says that if you will believe that Jesus Christ uh, is Lord, if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all you have to do. And if you've never made that confession, if you've never made it public through baptism, I want to invite you today to make that confession. Uh, And if you are not an active member of a congregation, we invite you to join this beloved community right here on the corner of Preston and South Main. I'll be down front as we sing together.